You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and the Christmas world. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Merry, Merry Christmas to all the fans out there, and hopefully not a Jet New Year. I'm just... Telling you the truth, the New York Jets have absolutely bombed for Christmas for all the Jet fans out there that were excited. Maybe a playoff run this year has completely fallen on their faces. Zach Wilson is probably done here in New York. But before we get into that, Speedy, how are you? I'm doing well. Looking forward to Christmas at my house. My grandparents traveled there uh, a couple days ago. I just traveled there Christmas Eve. Happy Christmas Eve to all the fans out there, too. If you are still traveling, travel safe. Hope you have enough gas left because the Jets certainly don't. They have all gas, no brakes, except for the last four games. Well, he's been taking tickets or receipts or whatever he was saying. Yeah, and I always have to burn them. I stuck up for him last week, and I gave him a lot of credit for him attacking the press throughout the season where he said that he will be taking receipts at the end of the season. Well, Zach Wilson will be taking his train tickets home to Utah and never coming back to New York because his tickets are already cashed. As far as Strevler or Flacco or Mike White, they're not the future either. And the Jets have a long offseason because they have to figure out who the starting quarterback of this organization moving forward next year is. A little bit later in the show, we will be talking to former Commanders, 49ers, and Bears wide receiver Josh Morgan. He'll be joining us. We will get into the Lions debacle with the Jets and Thursday night's football debacle with the Jaguars as the Jets just laid an absolute lousy dud against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Thursday Night Football. Embarrassed themselves on national TV. Sauce Garnet, Quinny Williams going to the Pro Bowl. So is DJ Reed, Mosley, Hardy, by the way, and Garrett Wilson will be going to the Pro Bowl as a rookie. So a lot of the rookies, and, and Brees Hall probably would have went to the Pro Bowl yeah. too. So that would have been three rookies. Three out of the amazing five that were drafted this year. It's been a great season as far as youth is concerned for the Jets, not for the quarterback. Saquon Barkley and Dexter Lawrence make the Pro Bowl as well. Congratulations to them. We will get into the Giants' win, 20-12, to against the horrible Washington Commanders. I'm just kidding. Our three-for-all picks of the week. The Mets signed Carlos Correa, 12 years, 315 mil. The Yankees interested in trading for Pirates center fielder, Brian Reynolds. They're going to have to be giving up a pretty huge sum if they plan to land him. And the Yankees name Aaron Judge, the captain, the 16th captain of the New York Yanks. The Knicks lose their 2025 second round draft pick for tampering with Jalen Brunson in the offseason. And the Knicks had an eight-game winning streak snapped on Wednesday and the Nets are right now on a seven-game winning streak. And the Rangers and the Islanders updates. The Rangers just outplayed the Islanders on Thursday. So, why don't we get into it? I sit here today as an angry football fan. He 
He's an angry elf. I am an angry elf. I sit here on 103.9 yearly speaking about this one team. I have stuck up plenty of times for this quarterback. I have stuck up plenty of times for this defense. I have stuck up plenty of times for this offense. And what did they do on Thursday night football on the national stage? The first time this year was lay up a lousy goose egg. I can't, as a Jet fan or as a football fan, really be happy of the performance that was put up when it comes to the numbers at the end of the game of the Jacksonville Jaguars New York Jets MetLife Stadium game on Thursday Night Football, 19-3. to How do you play a home game, your final home game in MetLife Stadium for the 2022 season, and you absolutely embrace embarrass yourselves on national TV. And I don't want to hear it's Zach Wilson's fault. Was it a little bit of his fault? Obviously was because they pulled him out in the third quarter. Was it the defense's fault? Obviously it was if they were down 13 to 3 in the half. I can't sell this team any more than what I've seen it. This was a mediocre team all season long. When they were on that winning streak, they beat second-hand quarterbacks. Quarterbacks that were backups. Robert Sala has a lot of explaining to do in the offseason. Because next year, it is a big season for the New York Jets. Because this could be Robert Sala's head and possibly Joe Douglas's head. Joe Douglas has had very good drafts. You could see that his draft was fantastic this year. You had two rookies to that Pro Bowl. You're talking about the best of the best. Two out of the elite three that were drafted in the first round. Two of the top ten, they hit. Now, Brees Hall would have been three out of the top four. That says a lot about what he did this year. And Sauce was the number one vote getter at the corner position, so. But I don't know what happened to Sauce on Thursday Night Football. He didn't have a good game. I don't care if he didn't give up any touchdowns. There were many plays he could have made in the open field, and he didn't. Maybe it was because he made the Pro Bowl and he felt the season was over. Maybe the Jets just didn't want to play for Zach Wilson. But Robert Sala is the head coach of this team, and Mike LaFleur should not be the offensive coordinator by the end of the season. I don't care what he tries to sell to the fans. I don't care what he tries to sell to the press. I don't care what he tries to sell to the organization. It's a failure. The offense was a failure this year. The development of Zach Wilson in the last two years has been a failure. Has to have blame on the offensive coordinator. We've seen some bright things this year, and we've seen a lot of dark things. And injuries are not the reason why the Jets will not make the playoffs this year. It really lies in fundamentals of the game of football. How are you an elite defense, and you're ranked in the top 10 in almost every single statistic? And in the big parts of the game, you give up the big points which cost you the game. And how do you give up so many third and sixes, third and sevens, third and nines, third and twelves as an elite defense in the league? I can't even tell you how many games I've watched this year where the Jets have completely stopped these offenses to third and seven. And the chances of a team getting a first down on third and sevens is like 20%. So small. Why is it when it's the Jets defense, it's all the time? It's automatic. It is absolutely embarrassing. There is no excuses to this defense. They're an elite defense. One of the top five defenses in all of football. And for anybody to argue that, including the Jet fans, and make excuses about what this team did is disgusting. And they've done it now. The last four games they've played against top offenses, they've done that a lot in three of those games. Minnesota did a lot. Now, granted, Minnesota is one of the better third and long offenses. Detroit, they did it again. Lots of third down conversions. Lots of bad tackling. This 
Jacksonville team, much of the same. They didn't have like a lot of these spectacular catches. Christian Kirk had this gorgeous route ran on DJ Reed or anything like that. No, it was Evan Ingram after the catch. ETN and a lot of the backup running backs on a lot of these shorter passes and just got a lot of yards after the catch and they never adjusted. Yeah, you could have all the talent you want on D. I compared them a couple weeks ago to the 2012 Seahawks, the early stages of the Legion of Boom. They have a lot of talent. They're getting a lot of pressure. Fourth highest pressure rate in the league. If you can't adjust to a team trying to take that away, which Doug Peterson did a great job of, you're not going to be able to win these key games. The Jets got outcoached badly from both assistant coaches, Jeff Ulbrich and Mike LaFleur. The Jets couldn't run the ball. How else are you going to get your running backs involved? No screen passes. A lot of a night could run routes. Michael Carter's a good pass catching back. Why not try to get him involved there? Nope, we didn't see any of that. When the Jaguars did a good job of trying to contain Garrett Wilson, where were these other receivers? Conklin was probably the only one that had some big catches. Yeah, Zach Wilson didn't play well. It's not completely his fault. All the Jets fans just can't just make him the easy scapegoat. There were a lot of other reasons they lost, and it starts with both assistant coaches to me. I think the whole game was just an absolute debacle. The New York Jets need to figure out where this team is going and what this team is going to be in the offseason, where they're going to go in the draft. Are they going to move up for a quarterback? Are they going to look to free agency for a quarterback? There's so much that needs to be answered by this coaching staff and this management. It's absolutely disgraceful. It seemed like they avoided a bunch of the distractions that hurt them in Honestly, this previous is, teams. But. They were 7-4. and four. This might be worse than having a 4-13 and 13 record. It reminds me a lot of the 2014 Browns because they were 6-3. and three. They were surprisingly in the lead in first place. They beat the Bengals on a Thursday game in the middle of the season. Very similar to how the Jets beat the Bills. A statement win like that. And then they had all the quarterback controversy. Do you bring in Manziel? Do you go with Hoyer? That was it for the Browns in that season. And the I Jets think, had the same kind of thing. I, I think what really transitioned the Jets bad season was the Patriot games. Speaking the way they did, we're going back and we're going to New England and we're going to shut them up and they were embarrassed and they were the better team. Every single loss that they had this year, they were the better team. Even in the Buffalo game, they were the better team at certain aspects of the game, but they lost. And losing is losing, and winning is winning. They definitely were in the Detroit game. Those two touchdowns were terrible. Yeah. They should have won the Detroit game. Yeah. Two fundamental just lapses. In this Jaguar game, the Jets were the better, most talented team out of this game and the Lions game and the Patriot games. But they lost. And right now, they're looked at as a losing organization, and they're going to go into the offseason as a losing organization Again, there's really nothing to cry about here. I think the Zach Wilson era for the New York Jets is over. I know it's been two years and that's it. I cannot see the Jets going into the offseason with Zach Wilson as their QB1 to sell to the fans. The fans are not going to like it. They're not going to be excited to know that Zach Wilson will be starting next year as the Jets quarterback. And I don't think he will because if you're pulling Zach Wilson again after two games in the third quarter because you know he's just not it, that's a telling story right there that they already believe it's done. Or at least with this coaching staff because we saw that happen with Tua as well. But now this year he's playing a lot better with a different coaching staff, so maybe he just needs to change, change the scenery. I don't think they're firing Robert Sala. So. Zach Wilson is more likely to be traded than Robert Sala being fired. I don't know what they're going to get for Zach if they do decide to trade him. Maybe a team will offer him a third, a second. A team maybe believes they can fix him. 
And I think somebody could. He is far away from being a quarterback of the future for an organization. I think he's like three, four years away. It's going to take a while. I think he's got the talent. He's got the arm strength. He's got all of it. I just don't think he's mine. Ever since his girlfriend thing and his friend, his college room buddy is dating his girl. Him supposedly sleeping with his mother's best friend. It just didn't look good in the offseason. Going into the offseason and then the whole Patriots thing, he lost the team. And when you lose the team... It probably means you're going to go. If a quarterback loses his team, it's very hard to get him back. You have to be an Aaron Rodgers type of quarterback for you to win back your your team because you're talented. If you're not talented and your team hates you, what do you have? Nothing. And it's unfortunate because Zach Wilson is probably going to be on his ass in the offseason because he's going to realize that the Jets gave up on him, as well as they gave up on Sam Darnold, which they should have never done. And I stuck up for that for years. It was hard for me to go to the Zach Wilson bandwagon, and I tried. It's a sad offseason we're going to go into as a Jet fan, and everybody's going to say, well, we still have a chance. We don't have a chance. The Dolphins, Chargers, and Patriots, you need two of those three teams to lose out. It's it's just not happening. Now, the Patriots could. The Chargers are not. And Miami's not either. So it's over. If they had a chance, they had to win one of these two games. And they lost them both. Their final two home games, gone. And they're going to go into Seattle next week. And they're going to lose that game. And then they'll go into Miami and lose that game. And as well as they should. Because the more games you lose, the better chances you can get and move up in the draft. Because this is still a pretty good draft. And you're probably going to get somewhere between 10 and 12. Which are very high picks. And you could get an opportunity to get a good player there. Maybe not a quarterback. But you could get one of the better players at the position you're looking for. I think it's time to decide that Strevler will be the starting quarterback for the rest of the year, and then they move on. Zach will not start next week. You cannot sell that to the Jet fans that Zach Wilson will start next week. And I think the Jets need to figure that out. And change your offense to Strevler. Figure that out with Strevler for the rest of this. There's two games left. Mike White's not playing for the rest of the year because of his rib problem, and I would not sign Mike White to an extension. It's just a stupid move by the Jets. If they do that because they're going to set that team back even longer. We can go back to the Sean Watson thing as much as the Jets didn't want to deal with it. It would look really, really good right now if they had Deshaun Watson. I know they probably wouldn't have some of the players that they have. They probably have Sauce, but they probably wouldn't have Garrett because they would have to trade that pick. And right. Maybe Jermaine Johnson would not be in that position. A franchise quarterback is a franchise quarterback and they don't grow on trees. You watch what the Cleveland Browns are next year. They're going to be a lot better than anybody thinks they're going to they be. They should, assuming they can keep their players. They should. They have a breakout quarterback. As far as the Giants are concerned, they won a game that nobody thought they were going to win. Yeah. A lot of people People thought they weren't going to win another game for this year. And they have a good chance of making the playoffs. The NFC is wide open. The Cowboys losing last week against the Jaguars. The Giants played a good game. They made a lot of good defensive plays. Their offense was blah. You didn't need much. Because the Commanders are not a high-flying offense. Especially with Taylor Henneke as your starting quarterback. So you try to look at teams that are going to challenge the Giants now in the NFC. And there maybe is two or three. That's it. The Giants are going to have a very good chance of making the playoffs after beating the Commanders there. As yeah. a matter of fact, I think it's over 70%. It's pretty much a shoo-in if they win this week. Two other things that they actually got lucky on. For the Colts, Jonathan Taylor is now out for the season. The Giants' biggest weakness all year has been stopping the run. I know Zach Moss played well last week against the Vikings, but still, I don't expect that to happen again. And 
then Deion Jackson's been all right. The other news that came out this week that Jalen Hurts might miss the rest of the regular mm-hmm. season, too. Now, the Eagles might have played backups anyway if they clinched the number one seed, but that pretty much solidified that Jalen Hurts probably won't be playing because odds are the Eagles are not going to lose all three of their games and Dallas is going to win all three of their games to make it an NFC East tough scenario there. So the Giants kind of got lucky in that regard. I don't think they'll beat the Vikings this week. I think the Vikings will be too tough of a test. But the Colts and the Eagles, those are definitely winnable games. And the only way I think they would miss is at this point, now that they beat the Commanders, if they lose out. I didn't expect them to beat the Commanders. Their defense wasn't playing well in previous weeks, especially with all the secondary injuries. The Washington receiving core with Samuel healthy now and Jahan Dotson, who continued to play well against the Giants, and McLaurin. Like, that's a tough core to stop, but they did that. And they stopped the run, which they haven't been able to do in recent weeks. Brian Robinson had a couple big carries, but it wasn't like a consistent running game. And that's what you'd like to see. For the offense, yeah, not much, but Saquon came along in the fourth quarter, and that's good to see. I think when you look at the big picture and where both of these teams are going, I think the Jets are more talented than the Giants. But the one thing that the Jets are in position where they could fail is they're in a very difficult division. You have to contend with Miami for the next couple of years. They're young. Buffalo, young. The Patriots, where as long as Bill Belichick is there and he's breathing, it's not going to be easy. They're in a bad predicament, and Joe Douglas needs to figure out this quarterback position problem. It is a big problem. It's been a big problem for this franchise for 50 years. Maybe Joe Namath put a hex on this team, but something needs to give on this. The team needs to figure this out. Because Zach Wilson will probably not be here in five years. Wes will be analyzing him in the CFL. Yeah, or he might never play football again. He has a very rich family, you know? His family owns JetBlue. That's ironic. The Giants, win or lose, the Giants weren't expected to do anything. It's all gravy now for the Giants. It's going to be the offseason where Dable's going to stamp his name to this roster, stamp his name to this organization. Joe Shane, too. They're going to have some money to spend. They're going to have the fourth most salary cap space. Only the Bears, the Patriots, and the Falcons will have more. Maybe they could take Zach Wilson. That would be funny. All right, Speedy. Three for all picks of the week. Well, we'll start with the Cincinnati Bengals at the New England Patriots. Mm -hmm. So actually, I'm going to take the upset here. I'm actually going to go with the Patriots. This feels like a very big redemption game after the way they lost last week. Uh, Bill Belichick coming back with a vengeance. And the Bengals, I think they're too hot. I think they're due to lose a game at some point. They didn't look great against the Buccaneers in that first half. And I think the Patriots can expose some of those aspects. Back-to-back road games for the Bengals. Looking ahead to the Bills. I could see this being a trap. I'm going to take the Patriots here on the under. I like Joe Burrow in this game. I think Jamar Chase will have a breakout game. The Patriots like to stop the best player on the field. Bill Belichick likes to shut down the best option Joe Burrow has, but there's a lot of options, and Joe Mixon could be back this week. I think he'll be able to run. I think that this team is going to be able to run against these defense a la the New York Jets. I think the Bagels are high-flying offense. Yes, they lost Hendrickson for a significant amount of time, broken wrist. He could be out for, until the playoffs. He could play with a broken wrist in the playoffs. They're missing some pieces defensively. I still think this is a good enough defense and a more pristine offense where they can shut down and beat up the New England Patriots. I would take the Bengals on the over. The Seattle Seahawks at the Kansas City Chiefs. Over under for this is 49 and a half. I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. Uh, they're at home. I, Seattle matches up well in a couple aspects. I think Geno Smith runs the ball well, but I don't know if Kenneth Walker still not 100% is a top five run defense. No Tyler Lockett. The Chiefs, I think, will be able to run the ball actually better than expected. Jarek McKinnon's been nice. Travis Kelsey, I think, has a big game in this one as well. Seattle always stinks against tight ends. So I think the Seahawks keep it close for three quarters and then the Chiefs pull away. Give me Kansas City on the over. Yeah, I got Kansas City. I, I think Kansas City's going to be 
able to run against the Seahawks. And being that the Kansas City Chiefs are at home, Patrick Mahomes will have a 300-yard game. He'll throw two or three touchdowns, and he'll be able to make the plays that he needs to make in the open field, including using his legs. Give me the Chiefs on the over two. All right, last one. The Washington Commanders and the San Francisco 49ers, a very low one here, 37 and a half. I'm going to take the 49ers, but I do think it'll be closer than expected. I, I think Washington's defense will put up a fight. I think it'll be a little harder for the Niners to be able to run the ball with Christian McCaffrey. I think this is his first kind of down game in a San Francisco uniform. Where I think San Francisco could attack Washington is in the slot areas. I think Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, even McLeod maybe one of those guys. Or even McCaffrey receiving, I think, will have a big game. And then the defense, I think, will just do the rest. So I'm going to take the Niners, and I'm actually going to take the under. Yeah, I got the Niners in this game, too. Uh, Purdy looks like he's going to make the plays that he needs to make. And the commanders aren't any good. They lost against the Giants on Sunday Night Football. And I don't think they're going to be any good against a San Francisco defense that is just elite. Top of the top. If they can't handle the Giants defense, which is not even close, what do you think San Francisco is going to do? I don't think it's anywhere close. I think it's embarrassing. But I have San Francisco on the under as well. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the three for all picks of the week. When we come back, we will be talking to former commanders, 49ers, and Bears wide receiver, our friend Josh Morgan, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out our website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. You can check out all our shows throughout the week. It's great content, ladies and gentlemen, and it's not a podcast. There are live shows during our network, even our show, The Sports Loudmouths, which airs on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I know you guys have been waiting for this, and we have our guest. We're now talking to former commanders, 49ers, and Bears wide receiver, Josh Morgan. Josh, what's up, man? Yo, what's up, man? How y'all doing? You look good, too, man. You look healthy. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. The healthiest I've ever been in my life. There you go. How are you and your family doing ever since the COVID situation? Situation, the pandemic. Man, the pandemic hit hard all across the world, man. And it was a weird time for us because that was actually a time that doctors wanted to do the kidney transplant when I gave my brother my kidney. That was a weird time. It ended up being a perfect time. It gave us both enough time to rest and heal because they kind of shut the world down and it kind of let our bodies do what they needed to do to heal properly so he could beat that kidney disease and I could heal and do everything I needed. Because three weeks before that, I had a knee surgery cleaning up some old football injuries. It was perfect timing for me. Three weeks prior, I had a knee surgery. Then I did the kidney transplant. I was just what my body needed to just rest and relax. Well, we're really happy for you. You're healthy. And that's one of the more special things you could do is give your brother a kidney so that he can move on with his life. And you have two kidneys. You can give a kidney up. And that's something I didn't know about you. And that just makes me look at you even better than I did as a football player. We are talking to former 49ers, commanders, and Bears wide receiver, Josh Morgan. I had an opportunity to watch you play. You could have been used even better as a football player. I think the teams, oh, that, when you were drafted by the San Francisco 49ers in a sixth round in 2008, I watched you play in Virginia Tech. You were a sensational wide receiver. You were a great oh. wide receiver. You had the size. You had the ability to go up there and get the ball. There is a wide receiver in this league right now that plays for the New York Jets that remind me of you. You're a little small 
taller than him, but he played like you in Virginia Tech, and that was Denzel Mims. Your athletic ability, what you did on the field, was somewhat like a Denzel Mims. What was it like being drafted to the NFL? Man, it was a dream come true being drafted, man. That was definitely the first time I had that comparison about him. Usually I get those, like, Anquan Bowden comparisons or those Debo Samuel comparisons. Lucky me, I got to play for both of my favorite teams growing up, 49ers and the Commanders. Going that route before I broke my leg in San Francisco, every coach don't have the same idea for you, so you can only control what you can control. Moving, leaving San Francisco, coming to the Redskins, um, you know, people kind of already got their guys and want to play the guys they drag, no matter how talented you are. So for me to come in here, leaving San Fran without doing any rehab, season-ending injury, sign free agent deal, they wanted me to go right out and play. Still six screws in my leg. I couldn't even flex my ankle whole season and ended up still being the leading receiver that year, my first year in 2012 when we drafted RG3. So to still have the success I had, being injured every year, having a different quarterback every year, having like five different head coaches. I don't take no pity off nobody, man. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I did what I was supposed to do, despite everything that I went through and all the different changes that I went through. For me to even have a career I had, even at Virginia Tech, and to never have the same quarterback two years in a row, my whole football playing career, I pat myself on the back. Who is doing that in the league? Probably DeAndre Hawkins. He always got a different quarterback. It's just hard to do that in the league. When you get one, that's why I'm happy for Steph to get with Josh Allen. You find one, stay there, man, they going to make your career everything. Look at Jerry Rice with Steve Young and Joe Montana. Marvin Harrison with Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne. And all the way back to Isaac Bruce with Trent Green and all of them. Everybody had that guy, man. Why wasn't Josh Morgan with Peyton Manning? <laughs> Why wasn't Josh Morgan with... Tom Brady. Why was he thrown to the Wolves with Jim Harbaugh and Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick? I got a test question for you. Go ahead, let's hit it. Who was my starting quarterback my rookie year with the 49ers, 2008? Was it a second stint of Jeff Garcia? Because I thought he had two stints with the 49ers. Man, I went so much money off this question. I give it back, but I always definitely wasn't. So I'm going to give you another hand. When I got there, Mike Nolan was the head coach. That I remember. Mike Marks was his offensive coordinator. We had just picked up Isaac Bruce in the offseason. So the quarterback was a Mike Marks guy. Mark Bolger? Nah, from Cincinnati. I'm going to even give you his number. He was number 14. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know. Sullivan. Wow. No. I don't think anybody would I know the name that. now. Well, I'm defeated with that question. Yeah, the, with the long hair. You stumped one of the guys that usually gets these questions right. I'm very surprised he didn't know that, but uh, I wouldn't have known that either. 2008. I'm lucky I know if I'm wearing underwear half the time. You think I'm going to remember what quarterback played with you in 2008? It was funny. We had Dyrell Briggs, a former linebacker who also played for the 49ers mm-hmm. too and oh, also with the Green Bay Packers. So he actually asked us the first time we had the show who was the quarterback of the Chicago Bears that his Packers beat in the NFC Championship game. That one I remembered. It was Caleb Haney when Jay Cutler was hurt and then their backup got hurt too. You actually remember that. So it's funny you're quizzing us on that. We are talking to former 49ers commanders and Bears wide receiver Josh Morgan. So I want to go back to where you were saying about the injuries when you first came into Washington. We've actually had a lot of guys that have mentioned that too. Brandon Lloyd we had on the show earlier this year. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And he was mentioning that Washington right now with FedEx Field, one of the two natural grass fields in the NFL right now. But a lot of players have had injuries issues there coming over to the commanders. So do you think it's an issue with the field? Do you think it's something else with with them? And what was the difference playing on that in comparison to other teams you played with? I see now it's been voted one of the worst fields in the league, but I think it was more so how from ownership on down to how things were ran there. I think 
the things were ran a little better there, especially the communication. If I'm the top guy, literally, they signed me and Pierre Garçon, like, back-to-back. Back. As soon as free agency hit, first five minutes. We, like, your top guys coming into free agency. I'm the one coming off a season-ended injury with the 49ers. Why not let me rehab? Why not rehab your guy, get him healthy for the season? It just was a lot of the chaos going on at that time. The whole RG3 era, the whole him and Snyder, the whole everything that's looking like it's about to come out. I wouldn't really say it was the field. It was just everything else that was going on that ain't had nothing to do with football. <laughs> you were in the league for a significant amount of time. Do you remember your first touchdown, where you I were, do. and what you did? What was your dance when you got your touchdown? What did you do when you scored your first touchdown as an NFL player? My first touchdown in the preseason was versus the Packers. It was a bomb up the left sideline right before halftime. I had over 100 yards receiving in the touchdown in that game. That was in the preseason. My first regular season touchdown was versus the New York Giants in New York. It was on a double move over the middle versus Corey Webster. Caught it. My shoe came off. And I was already down there. So all the celebrations we do now, they do now. We couldn't do that back then. The rules was different. You got that $5,000 fine quick. So because I always, when I was at Virginia Tech, I wore number two. I always wore number two for both of my grandfathers because they died before they ever got to see me play sports. So I always said a quick prayer, just thanking God, giving them their honor, to make it feel like they still with me and I'm doing this for them. So that's what I did at that school, my first touchdown. I'm a Giants fan. I actually kind of remember that. I remember after, it. I'm not after, a Giants fan. After the Giants Super Bowl 42 win, Sam Madison, who was their number one corner, retired. They had Aaron Ross and Corey Webster was always the slot guy, but I think they moved him outside, experiment with him. I'm like, yeah. wait, who's this receiver that just torched him? <laughs> uh, it was you. Yeah, so yeah. first season you had with Jim Harbaugh in 2011, you guys went to the NFC Championship game. Oh, Jim Harbaugh, we've seen his personality definitely be a big thing with the 49ers and then with Michigan too, especially with some of the recruiting stuff he does. So what was he like on and off the field? I like Jim Harbaugh, by the way. Jim Harbaugh was a creative genius, man. It's a lot of stuff with him, but he's a creative genius, especially for me. I was an offensive guy. He's a player coach. He's going to teach the game from the quarterback position and everything he made us practice. We would be practicing unbalanced line and yeah, because they're going to see Joe over here and they're going to think we're going to run this way and we're going to bring another tackle off an unbalanced line, running the drag route across the field, and we're going to hit him for a touchdown. And next thing you know, you get in the game, and it's third and one, and Coach Harbaugh didn't call it perfectly. <laughs> so he was just one of those guys. Like, he created situations, and you're thinking, like, man, what are we doing? It felt like Little League at times, some of the plays we drawing up, but he actually run them in the game, and they worked to perfection. The whole infamous we losing, the lights go out in the stadium and then next thing you know lights come back on and we start coming back and we end up winning the game. I think that happened twice that year. Jim Harbaugh was a great guy, man. I really hated not being able to stay out there and play for him. When I broke my leg, I broke my leg what, the sixth game of that season? He was the first one there when I woke up from my surgery. Wow. He was always constantly checking on me. He was always honest with me throughout the free agent process. Told me straight up, man, we want you, we love you. We want to keep you here. We definitely want to get a veteran guy back with you in Crabtree. And he was talking about bringing Randy Moss in. We ended up coming in. He was just an honest, real guy, man. And you got to respect that in that profession, man, because a lot of people all about the money and all about whatever the people upstairs doing. To his character and to his testament, he was so powerful that he scared Trent Baalke because <laughs> Trent Baalke was the GM at that time. If this is your head coach and he take you from a 500 team to a playoff team back to back, to the Super Bowl, why wouldn't you keep 
I would agree with you. He required too much power. He was too powerful and he did it his way and his way worked. There's a reason he Byron Leftwich didn't want to coach the Jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, man. He's scared old Trent there, man. You went over to the Washington Now Commanders. You were coached by Mike Shanahan. Your offensive coordinator was Kyle Shanahan. He's now the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers, the very hot San Francisco 49ers team. Tell us a little bit about your time over there with the Commanders, RG3, and Kyle Shanahan. I love the coaching staff. I love Kyle. Sean McVay was on that staff. Matt LaFleur was on that staff. And Mike Daniels was on that staff. So I loved all of those young guys. Mike was actually my receiver coach. Well, he was actually the assistant receiver coach because it was Ike Hilliard. And then it was Mike. It was just a great young staff. It was a fun time for D.C. Everybody was excited that I was back home. Everybody was excited about the young RG3. Santana was looking good and healthy. Pierre was looking good and healthy. Young Trent was still the beast that he is today. Mm. It was a lot of exciting things going on. Alfred Morse, Young Reddy. There was a lot of young talent on that team, man. It was just an exciting time for D.C. That year was the first year we went back to the playoffs since, like, since Clinton Portis and them. So when we went to the playoffs that year, actually ended up losing to Seattle. Yeah, it was a fun time, man. Kyle was a great coach. Kyle was ready back then. I just don't think Mike was ready to step out the way and give him the crown yet. Kyle was ready back then. Between him and Sean, they called like 80% of our touchdown plays that year. A lot of innovators on that staff. And I think Kevin O'Connell, Vikings coach, was on that staff I guess later he was. on. So yeah. they had all that head coaching talent for the future, and they ended up with Jay Gruden. <laughs> Mike Shanahan's tree has been really, really good. Really good. When you look at some of the coaches, Bill Belichick tree, probably the greatest football coach to ever coach in the NFL. His tree is horrible. When you look at Bill Parcells, that tree was the tree that really stuck out. You had Tom Coughlin, you had Bill Belichick, Sean Payton came from that tree. We were waiting for that other tree to really come out there and really stand out. And I really believe the tree that stood over the last couple of years is Mike Shanahan's tree. His son, Kyle, Matt LaFleur. I think Robert Sala was under that tree for a little bit too. I even know McDaniel was either. There was a lot of good young coaches that was under Mike Shanahan's tree. Now Kyle Shanahan's tree. You have Sean McVay. It all stems from Mike Shanahan. It's a fantastic tree and Mike Shanahan is one of the best offensive minds we've seen in the last 20 years. And he always pushed running. Terrell Davis. He had John Elway who had one of the best arms we've ever seen. But he had arguably one of the best power backs in the NFL for five years who was just running over people. He always thought run first, throw second. Over there with the Washington football team with RG3, you had a quarterback that can run like the wind, can move outside of the pocket. I think he was an all-world track and field runner. Also, a good running game. So, you played with one of the better offensive lines in football when RG3 was there, and one of the better quarterbacks. He was the rookie of the year when you played over there with RG3. Definitely, man. RG3, I hated to see him get injured, man, because he was having a great year. He did some Vickish type things that year. I seen him fumble the ball versus the Giants. Justin Paul. Yeah. He dropped the ball like two feet away from him, picked it up, got all the way around the edge, <laughs> like this much space, mm-hmm. like this. Got a first down. We drove, ended up scoring that draft. I just seen him doing some incredible things, man, with the flick of the wrist. I just hate to see him get him injured like that because you saw it kind of mess with his head and you just saw the spiral, the downhill spiral. And I just hated that for an athlete like that, for a guy like that. When RG3 and Kirk Cousins were drafted in the same draft, RG3 was a top three pick. I remember Washington moving up and giving up their whole livestock of first round draft picks for RG3. Out of nowhere, Kyle Shanahan loved this kid, Kirk Cousins. And who's still playing in the NFL? Who's one of the top 12 quarterbacks in the league? 
Kirk Cousins. RG3 is retired because of injury. Now coached uh, by Kevin O'Connell. And, and now Kirk Cousins is coached by Kevin O'Connell, who has a chance to be the second seed in the NFC. Did you know Kirk? Did you think Kirk was going to be as good as he's turned out to be as an NFL quarterback? I definitely did. Kirk was a chill guy, man. He was kind of like Heineke is now, man. Low key, always on the Jordans, always peeping the Jordans shoe game. Kirk was a computer. The way he dissected the uh, offense, the way he got through his reads, the way he learned the offense, the way he even talked football, he was a computer. You know when you got a guy like that that was that young. And he showed no fear. We used to put him in the game in crazy situations, but it was like must win. And he just got in there, Joe Cool, just calm, collect. All right, guys, this is what we're going to do. All right, go. No. And it was just no pressure. He made the right read and we won the games. Even if he wasn't going to be a starter, we knew he was going to have a lot of success in this league and be in this league for a long time. But after those couple of drives when he got in late, those fourth quarter drives and he led us to wins, and that's when the kind of debate came where RG3 trying to play injured, play through this injury because he know if he sit down, Kirk going to take that spot. We definitely thought he was going to be very successful in this league. He had everything you needed. I want to move on to another quarterback you played with in San Francisco who coincidentally later played with Washington and unfortunately got hurt and that was Alex Smith. So what was he like on and off the field? Alex was all great. Definitely the epitome of a leader. Definitely the ultimate game manager. Keep you in the game, not going to lose the game for you. Injuries killed his career. I was out there four years with him and only got to play one year with him because he was injured every year. Alex was a guy that I watched personally at Utah in college too because one of my hometown heroes, Steve Savoy, was at Utah, was his receiver number six at Utah. So I was always watching his games. I kind of knew Alex before I got out there. And then when Vernon got drafted, who was another hometown mm. hero, when he got drafted to the 49, I was really watching Alex, looking for what's going on out there, who won't be getting Vernon the ball. So I was very excited when I thought it was Alex because I just played, all right, man, Alex was Steve quarterback. He got Vernon now. <laughs> Let's go. We're going to win the championship back in the 49ers now. And I saw it end up happening getting drafted the next year. But off the field, Alex was always about his business, always about his family, about his wife. He didn't have the kids yet, of course, but he was just a stand-up guy on and off the field, man. Not going to lose you the game, going to keep you in the game and going to make the play. All grit, man. Alex, all grit. All heart, all grit. I like that. Alex, all grit Smith. I like that. <laughs> Tell him he likes some grits and I'll make him all grit. He's the gritty man. Josh Morgan gave you your nickname. Alex All Grit Smith. Oh, he's going for the 20, the 30, the 40. All Grit Smith is on his way for a touchdown. Oh, my God. It's All Grit Touchdown. I'm just kidding. I finally used my play-by-play voice. Only for you, Josh. We are talking to former 49ers, Commanders, and Bears wide receiver, Josh Morgan. Who's your favorite player you've ever played with? And then can you tell us a story about that player? Of course. My favorite player, hands down, was Isaac Bruce, man. Isaac Bruce was a legend himself. You can't say enough great things about Isaac Bruce. Funny story about Isaac, I never really heard his real voice until we was on the football field. Never really heard him talk until he was getting interviewed after a game or something like that. I was a rookie, and this is another funny thing. When I got drafted, I went to Mike Marks and met Mike Marks for the first time. He pulled me out of the weight room. I'm in there, sleeves cut off, getting the good work. It's one of my rookie workout. I'm trying to prove my worth. So 
he go in there. My muscles popping out. He like, man, what are you doing? I said, what's up, coach? They said you wanted me up here. He said, yeah, I did, but what are you doing? I said, I'm lifting, coach. He said, man, <laughs> call Pat Willis. I did call Pat up there. Told Pat, man, look at you. You're like Pat Willis. That's our middle linebacker. From the rest of the time, I don't want you lifting no weights. <laughs> he said, I want you to look like Isaac Bruce. I want you to play like Isaac Bruce. And I want you to think like Isaac Bruce. I was looking like, damn, coach, why you draft me for? <laughs> if that's what you want, I can't do that. I've been Isaac Bruce size in middle school. Isaac was just always that leader, that teacher, that big brother, that mentor that I never had. You know, I really didn't have a mentor at Virginia Tech. I didn't really have a mentor my whole life growing up. So Isaac kind of filled all those voids and kind of was my spiritual leader. It kind of was the person that I always went to. But he always whispered, was, Josh, <laughs> What? what the hell? He just always talked to me like that. That's why when we got in the field, it was the total opposite. Like, he going to talk. You hear his voice. He used to get you hyped. Like, game day when you actually hear Isaac's voice. It was things like that that just made Isaac a great guy, man. I remember um, Isaac Bruce, the greatest show on turf. That Rams team with those weapons over there. Torrey Holt, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner. In the running game, the offensive line. You had Orlando Pace there. Honestly, they should have won back-to-back Super Bowls. I'm not going to tell you why they didn't. I'm going to tell you this about this offense and let me know what y'all think. Mm. The Kyle Shanahan's of the world, the Sean McVay's of the mm. world, the Matt LaFleur's, all of these offenses is a mix of Mike Shanahan's running game and Mike Mart's offense with the greatest show on turf. I never thought of it that way, but I can see that kind of thing with the way it's created. I can that's see that. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. Marks never gets the credit. as, a, yeah, as a I remember when he took over for the Rams and rebuilt that offense. They were still one of the high prolific offenses in the NFL and Mike Marks never got credit for any of the offenses that he put out there and some of the top five offenses in all of the NFL. Even I don't the first understand couple why. years in Chicago he was good too yeah. with Matt Forte. Yeah. And, I don't understand. Moose Muhammad and all those guys he was pretty yeah. good making that offense because the Bears are always known for their defense but their offense is always below average. It never made any sense why yeah. he never got credit. Didn't he have a problem with a player he had problems with on and off the field and that's why he got fired from Chicago. Was Brandon in Chicago yet? Brandon Marshall was there later. He came I think a year before you did in Chicago because he was in uh, Miami. Shiner. It was Bernard Berry and Musa Muhammad were the receivers. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Forte was the running back. It was a long time ago. I'm getting old, man. Brandon Marshall at the yep. time. He came a little later. Teammate with you with Alshon Jeffrey and Jay Cutler. That would have been no, Tressman. Yeah. yeah, Tress was that guy, man. I thought that was going to be a Super Bowl team. When I got to Chicago, I was telling everybody put their money on us because we had the same team. The only new guy was me. And the only person that you left was You had the biggest mouth wide receivers in all of the NFL on <laughs> one team. Are you kidding me? Brandon Marshall, I love the guy. I met him. One of the funniest people you'll ever meet. That guy never shut the hell up, man. I was at the Super Bowl. I'll never forget it. I was over there at Radio Row. I hear this guy screaming all the way on the other side of the Radio Row. And I'm like, who the hell is that screaming? It's Brandon Marshall. He's screaming on the other side of Radio row because he saw somebody he hasn't seen in like 10 years and everybody's doing a radio show and Brandon Marshall doesn't give a hell and he's screaming on the top of his own yo yo and I'm looking around like who the hell is this guy and it's Brandon Marshall six foot three 230 pound guy running up and down like he was playing football again Alshon Jeffries also had a big mouth too that guy knew how to yap his mouth he didn't really start talking to Philly for real he backed it up though he did which I was surprised at because I wasn't sure at the time that kind of transition when he first 
years left to the Bears because he was dealing with a lot of injury issues too. Towards he the won end a of Super Bowl over there in Philly. He was great in that Super Bowl too. Yeah, Josh, what you were saying? Talk a lot. Getting a big contract with the Eagles at the time, they lost all those receivers. They traded a bunch of them away when Chip Kelly got fired. And the whole front office really just undid everything. Just thinking of Brendan Marshall, that guy was some personality. I'm sure you have stories about him. He is <laughs> one of the craziest people. His podcast is one of the best podcasts right now in the country. I could only imagine how crazy he is on that podcast. Nah, he'd be calm on it. Really? Yeah, he'd be calm on it. I think that had a lot more to do with football. I think now that he retired, he'd been chilling. That was quite a bunch, though. And then we still had Martellus Bennett. Yes! Healthy. He liked to fight everybody. He would fight his own teammates. He'd fight his coaches. He'd fight anybody. I remember when he was on the Patriots, he fought his whole offensive line. That guy, he's tough. Him and his brother, two big behemoths, man. I remember the Giants had him that one year, and he was great, and then they let him go for whatever reason, and then he kept striving his with brother, in Chicago. His brother, he was a good defensive player on Seattle. He was a big yeah, part of that. Definitely. He was a good defensive yeah, player he, even before he, that he, on he Tampa, too. So it was that. pretty good. You played with some interesting players, man. And Jay Cutler, some a quarterback, to round it all out. <laughs> oh, my God. Jay Cutler. Oh, my <laughs> God. I was a movie. I Brandon in the locker room every oh day. Oh, my God. You know what's so funny? When I watched him and his wife on E! Entertainment, Jay Cutler. They lived on a ranch. He has horses. I never realized the personality Jay Cutler, because he looked so boring. Whenever he spoke to the press, I'm like, this guy is the most boring quarterback. I couldn't imagine sitting in a circle when he's calling a play and saying, uh, okay, guys, uh, EH83 down the field, blah, 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 blah. Let's go. Break. Goes out there. I'm like, what the hell? He just looks like a boring guy. And then I watch the show and I'm like, this guy's got some personality. I I could only imagine what he did in the locker room. He looks like a guy that would play tricks on people and tie your underwear up in the shower and wet all your underwear. He's that type of person, but you would never know because he was so damn boring to the press. He was hated by everybody, and everybody he thought that Brandon press. Marshall hated him. Nah, he hated the press. He knew the press was just trying get something and eat him alive. He hated the press, but he was definitely, it was a fun locker room. It was a frustrating locker room, but it was fun because you look around and you see all that talent and you're like, damn, and we ain't win. Jay Cutler's facial expressions <laughs> at least made all the memes look good, though. I could only remember Brandon Marshall when I asked him the question. I was like, do you remember your time with the Bears? He says, I don't want to remember my time with the Bears. Mm-hmm. And I say, do you want to remember the time with the Dolphins? He's like, I don't want to remember the time with the Dolphins. I was like, what do you want to remember the time with? Well, I like my time with the Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> Until him and Shanahan got into it. We want to go random quarterbacks. I awarded the quarterback of that team. Oh, wow, yeah. What a personality that guy is. I've interviewed a lot of artists when it comes to music and athletes. For some reason, every time I think of Brandon Marshall, I think of crazy, nutty, and has a crazy smile. That guy doesn't stop smiling, and mm. you don't know what he's smiling about. He just smiles. I get nervous. I have no idea. I don't think he put a frown on his face when I was asking him a question. The guy had a smile that'll light up a building. I always thought he would be great for radio. Personality-wise, he would fit. He could work with anybody. I never got a chance to listen to his podcast, but everybody tells me it's a must-listen to because of who he is as a person and stories that he tells. It's the locker room, and I think that's what makes it the best. It's literally like people having real conversations in the locker room, man. You just got cameras right there. Real stories, real conversations. You gotta think, most of us, we've been successful our whole 
whole lives. So you done seen the best of the best and we came from the worst. It's a lot of stories to tell. I'm happy because a lot of what's being said needs to be heard. We used to say it all the time in the locker room. We used to be like, man, back then it was just always, man, what if Hard Knocks was in here right now filming this, man? This would be a hit. <laughs> Hard Knocks That was before the social media frenzy and social media went crazy, but yeah. man, it needs to be heard, man. So I'm definitely happy he's doing it. And I hope he continues to keep it up. Hard Knocks saw the 2014 Bears. They were like, uh, you guys might be too crazy for us. Oh, that would have been funny. <laughs> Josh, we really appreciate your time. We'd love to get you on again. You're a great personality. You're a great guy. Keep up the good work. You're a person that is a family man. You giving a kidney to your brother just shows you that you're a family man. And get healthy. Keep up the good work. We'll reach out to you soon. I would love to get you back on again. One more thing, Josh. Is that your family in that painting in the background? So? Yeah, yeah. That's my grandmother. It's about to be my first Christmas without her. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry, Christmas sorry baby. Baby. Lost, man. Yeah, she a Christmas baby. Yeah, my brother's my cousin. That's my grandmother and all her first grandchildren. I'm going to send you a cartoon picture of me and you could put me right behind there. <laughs> yeah. That I'm would be right there. Lap. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you put my head on grandma's lap. <laughs> What a sight that would be. Be like, that's a great portrait. Who's that? Head grandma's lap. <laughs> Anyways, Josh, you're awesome. We really appreciate <laughs> your time. You're a good guy. We're looking to get you on again very, very soon. Definitely, man. Let's do it. Josh Morgan, ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas to him and his family and a very happy new year. He was fantastic. He, he gave really us was. the gift of some great stories and it looked like it was like a quarterback roulette. We went from Alex Smith, RG3, to all the way at the end, Jay Cutler. Yeah, <laughs> and everything else in between. He's got a great personality. Yeah. He's really down to earth. So I'd like to thank Josh for joining us in our wonderful second to last show of the year. It's been great. Throughout the year with the great guests that we've had on this show and on 103.9 and we hope many, many more to come in the new year. When we come back, some baseball as Aaron Judge is introduced as the new 16th Yankees captain. Carlos Rodon was introduced by the New York Yankees six years, $162 million and yes, Carlos Correa is now a New York Met. When we come back, some Yankees, Mets, winter meetings, and all baseball, baby, on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You know it's Christmas. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday for 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows live on our network every single week. The Sports Loudmouths, which airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays. At 9 p.m. We're very happy to be here. Merry Christmas to everybody. It's been a great year for our network and and what we've been doing together. I'm looking forward to the future of what we're going to be doing, not just on this network, but throughout the world and throughout the country on sports media and what we like to do, and that's entertain everybody. So I know it's Christmas Eve. I know everybody's getting ready for Santa Claus to come through their chimney, and their kids are you know setting up cookies and milk for Santa, but we're entertaining you for the rest of the night. So we're very happy to be here on a very cold, 
night when Santa comes through your chimney. A lot of baseball to get into. We could go back and forth on who Steve Cohen is. And I know a lot of Met fans, they're laughing because a lot of people throughout the social media markets are calling the Mets and Stevie Cohen the new empire. And the empire strikes back. And over the last 40 years, everybody called the Yankees the evil empire. And now with all the owners complaining about Steve Cohen opening up his pocket, and it's not the Yankees. Hal Steinbrenner says that he could do whatever he wants with his money. It's his money, and if he wants to spend it on his team, he's more than welcome to do that. But a lot of owners are not happy because there was a story coming out that the Giants were not going to sign their new toy in Carlos Correa. Carlos Correa was signed $350 million, which would have made him one of the higher paid players in Major League history. And some people say it was an old foot injury. Some people say it was another injury. Before Carlos Correa was going to be introduced, he was told to go back home. His whole family, his wife, his mother-in-law, his father-in-law, his family, all getting invited to the introduction ceremony where he was going to be introduced as the new shortstop for the San Francisco Giants, the Giants told him to go home. Told him that they're not signing him. They've decided to part ways a mutual thing. And within hours after the Giants decided not to sign him, the Giants call Scott Boris and says, we'll sign him. We'll give him a 12-year, $315 million. It's a 12-year. And they have now locked themselves on Carlos Correa for the next 12 seasons as the New York Mets have their new third baseman. This reminds me of one player. One player it reminds me of. And that is one of the best shortstops at the time, Alex Rodriguez. When he was going to go to Boston. Everything was set in stone. And then obviously the trade fell through. And what happens after that? The Yankees scoop right in and steal him from the Boston Red Sox. And then he moves to third base. He is the best shortstop in the major league at the time. Seven-time gold glove winner for Seattle and Texas. And he decided to go and play third base to play with Derek Cheater and the New York Yankees to win a championship. He gets two of the biggest baseball contracts in Major League history. They win a World Series in 2009, and there she blows. Carlos Correa is nowhere close to the talent Alex Rodriguez was when he went to the Yankees. But Carlos Correa is a good player. And Mets fans are going to have an opportunity to watch one of the better all-around players, right-handed hitters in the major leagues. Definitely a clutch player. Hits over 300 in the playoffs. Hits close to 300 in the regular season. He's a gold glove candidate at shortstop. We'll see what he is as a third baseman. He has never played third base in his life, but as a shortstop and as a defensive type of player, I think he'll figure it out. Now, everybody's calling the Mets the evil empire. That Steve Cohen is buying his way to a championship. And maybe so. Maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe you learned something for George Steinbrenner, even though it never worked for George Steinbrenner. It never worked for the Yankees. Is this a good move for the Mets? Long term? No. Short term? Maybe. And if the Mets win a championship in the next five, six years, even if they don't win a championship after that, or if Carlos Correa can't stay healthy, I guess... Steve Cohen thinks it's going to be worth it. Oh, and Steve Cohen's window, he's got three years left for him to, to get his five-year window to come true because he bought the team in 2020. Obviously, that was the lockout-shortened season where the Mets were already struggling, so they weren't going to win then. But you got three more years left, and this is definitely a move to show that kind of thing. And in today's shortstop market, where you saw Xander Bogarts get 11 years, you saw Trey Turner get 11 years, he gave him 12 and leapfrogged it from the Giants, not in terms of average annual value, but in terms of getting a team that's a contender. The Mets are going to be a playoff contender. 
Now, the year's definitely risky because his injury history, very similarly to Aaron Judge. He was healthy his first two years of his career, then had a lot of injury issues 2017 through 2020. 109 games, 110 games, and 75. Last two years has been relatively healthy. That's a good sign, but definitely a risk. Now, the average annual value, only 26.25. Not that bad. I actually was worried they would give him a lot more, but you definitely run a risk putting him at third base where he hasn't played a lot of defense, and it's going to lower his defensive value, too, because he's one of the best shortstops. It's definitely a mixed bag signing for me. Here's the positive. If something happens to Lindor, they can move him to shortstop, and then they can move Escobar to third base if they really want to. They could do a lot of different things. So it's not an all-out loss if they decide to move Correa to shortstop or second base in the future because of an injury. So it could be beneficial because they have that type of talent on their roster. It just bothers me because you're paying another guy $300 million. Now, a lot of people think that the Mets are going to go after Otani in the offseason. I don't know if that's going to happen after giving this guy $315 million. They're $100 million over the cap, but... This is Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen is one of the more relentless spenders we have seen in a very long time. If you really look at it, we're not really talking about basketball or even football because in football, there's no guarantee money. In basketball, they overspend for players that really never turn out to be anything. In baseball, it's either you're good, you're going to get paid, or you're mediocre, you're still going to get paid, or then you're really, really bad, and you're never going to come up in the major leagues. If you're in the majors, you're a decent player. Not a great player, you're a decent player. And when you're an elite player, like Carlos Correa, like Aaron Judge, like Francisco Lindor, or hopefully soon Pete Alonso, these guys get paid. Now, the owner and Steve Cohen could do whatever he wants with his money. If he wants to overpay for a player just to get him on his roster, that's up to him. That shouldn't be an argument to any of the owners or any of the fans out there that don't like him. I'll pay him. Out serve him when it comes to cash. If you don't want to be outbid by this guy, you've got the money. You might not be as rich as Uncle Stevie, but you definitely are a billionaire. If you want a player, you can gun-ho on a player and say, you know what, I'm going to pay him an extra $50 because I want him. I'm going to pay him an extra $25, $30 million because I want him. Or I'm going to give him an extra two years and, and spread out the money and spread out the wealth because I want him. That's the way sports is now. These athletes are overpaid, but hey, listen, they're talented, and you can't knock a guy that wants and obviously has earned the money that he has played for. And I know a lot of fans, a lot of Met fans are laughing because we're the evil empire and a lot of Yankee fans are just so upset because they got Carlos Correa and they got this guy. And I know Vegas right now has the Mets, one of the favorites of winning the World Series, one of the favorites of going to the World Series. That really doesn't matter because the Dodgers last year were the favorites of going to the World Series. They didn't even come close to the World Series. They didn't even go to the NLCS. That doesn't matter. The Astros are the favorites to come out of the American League. Does that mean they're going to win? The Yankees made sure that's not really going to happen either because they added one of the better left-handed pitchers in baseball in Carlos Rodon. And the Mets and the Yankees are the highest profit organizations now. They like to stake themselves and they like to spend their money. And you want proof of that? Steve Cohen has spent $100 million more than any other team so far in this offseason. And the Mets' current payroll 
is over 100 million more than the Yankees, who are second right now. So whether the spending is going to work for a championship, that is to be determined. But it is relentless that Steve Cohen... It never works. It's very much like what you were saying with the Yankees in 2007 through 2009, where they started spending and it only worked for one championship. And if you want to compare it to other sports, it seems very L.A. Rams-esque, where it might work for the one championship and then just fall off badly when everyone gets old. As a Yankee fan, I have always said spending for players never works. And the Yankees over the years have built a around a youth of players. Luis Savarino, Nestor Cortez was a draft pick by the Yankees, and then they let him go. He went to Baltimore, and then he came back, but he's a Yankee product. You look at other players that they have brought in that have been other teams' products, but the Yankees have a core of players. Now they have young players like Dominguez that they don't want to trade away. They want to bring him up. Volpe, Pereza, Cabrera. These guys are going to be big parts of the future of this organization if they develop like Aaron Judge. The Mets don't really have those franchise players except Pete Alonso. If you really go through their roster right now, could you name anybody but Pete Alonso that has been built through their farm system? It's McNeil and Nimmo and Alonso. Those are the only three. And McNeil is a guy that the Mets have been dangling around for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. They don't know if they want to keep him. They don't know if they want to move him. And Nimmo really earned his money this offseason. He played fantastic defense last year. To me, he was, if not the best overall defensive center fielder in baseball, he was close. And he deserved it. He really earned the money. Mark Tay was brought into the team to be the center fielder, and Nimmo stole it from him. You have to pay a guy that's earned that money. And I think they extended him a little too long, and maybe the Mets are looking at it as where they put these players, like Lindor, Nimmo, Correa, these guys are the future for the next eight years. Pete Alonso being the fourth. Those four players are going to be the core of championship competitive baseball. They can hope. But again, you're right. It doesn't guarantee anything. It, it might be reckless spending down the road. We don't know what Steve Cohen's doing, but it definitely showing that he doesn't... doesn't matter to, to Steve Cohen? Right, that's what I'm saying. That it's, it's reckless it's spending? It's definitely showing he doesn't care, though, and he's going to do everything he can. He's to... stealing money. He's making billions and billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. You think Uncle Stevie cares, and I don't know what he does in his private life when it comes to people say that he, he stole his billions. I don't know. He's a hedge fund guy. It really doesn't matter to me where he gets his money. The fact is, he's a very rich man, and he likes to open up his pockets. He's from Long Island. He's very well respected throughout the world as a businessman. The baseball owners don't like him because he likes to open up his pockets and spend his money on his team, which other baseball organizations don't like to do. Why are you complaining about it? Why are the Yankee fans complaining? I am a Yankee fan. And we'll get into the Yankees in just one second. Because I sit here today, I vouched for all the moves the Yankees have made over the years. And some of them have been horrible. And I don't like paying and overpaying players. That Carlos Rodon signing was one of the best signings the Yankees have had in a very long time. It is a good signing. If Carlos Rodon stays healthy, you're talking about one of the elite left-handed pitchers in baseball. In the last two seasons, how many pitchers could you really say have been as good as Carlos Rodon? Maybe a handful. That's how good he's been. Now, he has to stay healthy, and the Yankees are betting on themselves on this. But six years, $27 million a year, worth about 162 a year, the Yankees got a bargain when it comes to starting pitchers, left-handed pitchers that don't grow on trees. Left-handers last longer in the majors. You can eventually move them to the bullpen if they lose a speed or two. Ask CC Zabathia. Really rebirthed himself last two years of his career. Throwing the cutter right. and, and throwing more curveballs than he usually does in breaking and change-ups. He wasn't a power pitcher. Carlos Rodon has less on his arm. CC he was throwing hard for like eight years, nine years before he went to the Yankees. Right. Carlos Rodon, he had UCL surgery and 
and hasn't been throwing as hard as he has been throwing for the last two years. For his career, he was throwing 93-94. Now he's throwing 98-99 because he's figured out how to throw his fastball, and it's been one of the more dominant pitchers in baseball. He had to reduce his speed on his fastball because of the injuries he was dealing with earlier in his career, but since he's been healthier, he's been dialing it up recently, kind of like we saw what Jacob deGrom did last year before he got hurt, where he was trying to crank that fastball up to 100. Now, Carlos Rodon's done it in a much more efficient way, where it's 98 miles an hour, and he's doing it when he needs to, and still relying on his other pitches, too. And you're right. These left-handed pitchers, especially one that young, are very hard to find. Off the top of my head, the only one I could think of that's probably a little better is Max Freed. Like, there's not many of them in the league right now. And the Yankees got a bargain off of that, the way he's been pitching. And I know a lot of Met fans are sitting there and saying, well, what about the Yankees? What about the Yankees? They spent money. Yeah, the Yankees spent money. They didn't spend money like the Mets. Overpaid their player, Aaron Judge. They had to, because they wanted to bring him back. They wanted him to be the captain of the team, the 16th captain in Yankee history. And he deserved it. He earned it. He hit 62 home runs. He was one of the best hitters in baseball last year, batting average-wise. He almost won the Triple Crown. He stole 16 bases. And he played multiple positions in the outfield and was pretty damn good. But the Yankees spent a lot of money this offseason. They paid their player $360 million, nine years. Was it a great contract? For a guy his size, 31 years old, I think it's a little more years than the Yankees wanted to. They were pushing for seven not nine. Two years was pretty much a given because he's going to be the captain of the team. He's going to be the face of the organization for the next nine years. And the Yankees said they weren't done yet either. Don't be surprised to spend more. And the latest rumor was Brian Reynolds, too, the pirate center fielder as well. They're going to have to give up a significant amount for him because he's 27 years old, and in a lineup like this, he could become a superstar. He's the best player on that Pittsburgh team, and the Yankees like to trade with Pittsburgh a lot. If you go back in time, they really do like to trade with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the irony is a lot of their ex-players go there later when they're older, too. <laughs> and they become better with the Yankees. It's really been a transition for their careers. Now, I don't know what they're going to have to give up. A lot of people think it might have to be either Perez or Volpe or Dominguez to close the deal on this. They'll have to give up other pieces, but they're going to have to give up at least one of those guys to close the deal. Maybe two. But I think Pittsburgh, one way or another, will dial down because if they really are looking to move them and trying to get a decent player for them, it may be two second-tier prospects, they're going to have to make the move now because you don't know if Reynolds is going to push his way out at the trade deadline and he might not get as much back for him. Last year, 262. He had 27 home runs. This is a guy that can hit for average. This guy can steal bases. He's an absolute gold glove stud out in the outfield. Can play multiple positions. So, the Yankees are going to have to decide if if they could get Brian Reynolds. The offseason could be special. This could be a very special offseason for the Yankees. Yep. And again, he's hit 300 in two other years in his career, too. So he's definitely more than capable of just hitting 262. 302 in 2021. I remember I wanted the Mets to trade for him at the trade deadline that year. And then 314 in 2019. The lockout year 2020 was really his only bad year. But he still hit for a little bit of power. Seven home runs and 19 RBIs in 55 games. So definitely a guy that's great defensively and can hit for power, too, now. He could do everything. Yeah. And he could steal bases. He's a five-tool player. He can hit for average, which the Yankees need in the outfield. They couldn't get Michael Brantley. He wanted to go back to Houston. Houston's low. They brought Jose Abreu now. Now they have a pretty good power hitter. They've had a lot of power at first base, but this is 
one of the better power hitters in baseball at first base in that lineup. It's ridiculous. But good pitching and good bullpen always prevail against great hitting. And you saw that with the Yankees and Astros. Why did the Astros win? They pitched better than the Yankees did in the later innings. And maybe because the Yankees were fighting injuries and their bullpen wasn't 100%. And now with King coming back, maybe he's the closer of the future. All these different pitchers that they're bringing back. Hanley that they brought back. They're bringing back players. They're bringing back relief pitchers. And they're not done. They said they want to add another relief pitcher to that bullpen. And they want to add another hitter to that lineup. Now, Brian Cashman spoke this week. He says that it could very much be Aaron Hicks, the starting left fielder in the beginning of the year. And is that bad? It's not. Is Aaron Hicks a superstar player at the position? He's not. He's an average player. But he can hit. 16 to 20 home runs in a good season. He's a switch hitter. He could play multiple positions defensively out in the outfield. He could do a lot of different things. The question is, is that what the Yankees want? Do they want to go into the regular season without another hitter in that lineup? That could only be understood by Cashman, Kyle Steinbrenner, and Aaron Boone. I don't know what the Yankees are thinking. We all know that Donaldson will be the starting third baseman this year for the Yankees. Now, next year, he won't be. And the Yankees could go after Manny Machado in the offseason next year if they really want him. They have been connected to Manny Machado before he went to San Diego. Did opt out of that contract. This will be his last year as a San Diego Padre. Maybe he re-extends himself. Who knows? He's going to want money, and he's going to want more years. Maybe the Yankees are the team that are going to swoop right in if they don't win the World Series this year or they don't go to the World Series this year. Maybe they make a boom or a splash next year, like the Mets did with Carlos Correa, and bring in one of the best third basements in baseball that we have seen in the last 10 years. They were the favorites at the time in 2019 to get it, so you know Machado likes the Yankees and likes a lot of the guys there, so why not? Yeah, so we'll see what happens. For both the Yankees and the Mets, it's been a very good offseason. If you're a Yankee fan, you should be excited. Your rotation is the best in baseball. I laugh when Met fans are all over social media and trying to match the senior citizen pitchers of the Mets against the Yankees and trying to match them out because of Cy Youngs and wins and losses and strikeouts. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are fantastic players. They're Hall of Famers. They're two of the greatest pitchers to play in this game for the last 20 years. But to try to compare what they did with Detroit or even the Nationals and the Astros is ridiculous. And I'm not going to try to compare the Mets and the Yankees because there is no comparison in my eyes when it comes to lineups and overall talent. When we come back, we'll get into some basketball as the Knicks were tampering for Jalen Brunson. I think it was very well spent, if you ask me. They lose a 2025 second-round draft pick. Who cares? It really means nothing. They had one of the better point guards in all of the NBA. And one of the reasons why the Knicks were on an eight-game winning streak until the other night against Toronto. When we come back, we'll get into some Knicks and Nets conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Christmas Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our live shows throughout the week. We have Jets and Buffalo Bills shows and betting shows. And yes, the Sports Loudmouths, the number one show on our network, hosted by me and Speedy. Great content, great guests throughout the week. Our shows air on Wednesday and Thursday, one on Wednesday at 7 p.m. and two on Thursday at 9 p.m. So tune in every single week and get involved with the show. You can call our show, interact with some of our guests. It is a great sports 
content show. So check it out. Ah, man, the New York Knicks. Who would be crazy enough to think that the Knicks would be in position at Christmas time where they are? Right now, a team that's played fantastic over the last two weeks. They've been 8-0 as a team throughout the last two weeks. They lose their first game on Wednesday night in two and a half weeks. Julius Randle's playing good basketball. Jalen Brunson's been as dominant of a force to a team since he's taken the reins as the point guard of the New York Knicks. R.J. Barrett is playing better basketball. He's actually shooting 76%. At the free throw line, Quentin Grimes looks like he's a player. And reasons why the Knicks decided not to trade him for Donovan Mitchell. We're seeing these players start to develop. Before Obi Toppin got hurt, he was playing pretty good basketball. Knicks fans have something to talk about now. New York basketball could be back. Now, winning a championship? No. Making the playoffs and making a statement in the playoffs? Maybe winning a round? It could be possible. Having a point guard like Jalen Brunson can change everything for an offense. A guy that gets everybody involved, can shoot, can rebound for his size. It's been fantastic. It's been fun to watch. And a point guard that the Knicks have been thriving for for decades. Not just years, decades. And Jalen Brunson, we knew he could space the floor. We knew he could shoot and pass very well, but we were concerned about his size, especially on the defensive side, and driving to the hoop. And that has have not been significant flaws in his game this year at all. He's been able to win inside with finesse. He's been able to score inside, and he's a great leader for this team. And even when the Knicks were struggling before that, he was not the issue. He was spacing the floor very well. The guys are just not hitting shots. Now guys are hitting shots. You mentioned Quentin Grimes really developing before that injury he suffered against Chicago on Monday. He was playing very well. Emmanuel Quigley's playing well and RJ Barrett's shooting a little bit better too he's shooting some corner threes nicely and free throws definitely improved from his first two years of his career finally shooting 76 percent now obviously he still has to be a little bit better with decision making with the ball but again that's a lot of the Knicks this year but the biggest thing with the Knicks they're one of the few teams I think there's only five teams in the league right now top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency right now the Knicks are one of those teams right now and they've been very impressive in the perimeter defense especially very impressive and that's what Tom Thibodeau is the staple of it's been fun to watch It really has been. And you sit here today, and you don't know what this team's going to be in the second half. You don't know what this team's going to do in the new year. But right now, if you're a Knicks fan, you should be very excited Mm -hmm. because you have something to cheer about. You have something when it's not going to Madison Square Garden watching the Rangers win or compete. You actually have a basketball team that's competitive, that can play in the Eastern Conference, compete in the Eastern Conference. So when you sit back and you wonder in the new year and say, Hey, hockey and the Rangers and the Islanders and football, it could be the end of the Jets and the Giants. You have something to watch in January and February when it comes to basketball and hockey. Because you have the Islanders, the Rangers, the Knicks, and the Nets. It's been great basketball. And even for the Nets, for all the crazy circus genre, you talk about music, it's it's genre. Well, with the Nets, there's so many genres for this organization. There's the clown, there's the stupidity, there's the absolute dumb, and I guess you could say winning. But at least this team has found a way to win. At least this team understands how to win. Maybe having two top players at their respectable positions, or maybe just Ben Simmons playing good basketball right now. Ben Simmons has been really the surprise of the Brooklyn Nets. And I know everybody's going to look at his numbers. They don't really stick out to you. Eight points a game, six rebounds, six assists, and he only averages 11 shots. What makes Ben Simmons 
special is he does everything good but score. Everything good. He could pass. He could ball handle. He can rebound. He could block. And he could play and defend multiple positions. That's why they made that trade for James Harden. They don't need offense from this kid. He's making a lot of money. He should be scoring at least 15 points a game. Making like 36, 37 million a year. It doesn't matter. As long as he's healthy and he's productive, it doesn't matter. Because you're getting 30-some-odd points from Kevin Durant. And they're getting close to 28, 29 points from Kyrie Irving. And they're winning because of it. And they have a player that need be when they need to put him on the Greek freak. When they did put him on the best player on any respectable team that they're playing against, he could defend them. We saw that against the Warriors, too. Now, granted, the Warriors aren't playing great right now, but that's still a prolific offense, and Ben Simmons was hovering around the perimeter throughout the game, and they ended up winning in a blowout, winning over 30 points. If I were a Nets fan, I would even be fine with just, like, 12 points per game, and then if he's elite as a passer and elite as a defender, I'll take it in a, any day, because that's what they brought him in for. And they're getting other bench production finally now, a little bit more. Not Still not great. Joe Harris, Seth Curry, guys like that playing a little better as well to help that. And Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they're still playing their usual selves. Now, again, the Nets still, can they find something with this interim coach row with Jock Vaughn? They found a little bit, but again, it's still going to be tough in a tough Eastern Conference to elevate themselves other than probably over fourth right now, which is where they stand at the moment. The Eastern Conference very bunched up kind of fourth through nine. It started to level out a little bit between the 10 through 12 teams, the other play-in teams, but the Nets definitely have a shot too if they can keep some level of stability. They just got to avoid some other drama and other circus stuff that they happen to happen to have in the beginning of the season because they have some depth pieces now playing well if these other starters could actually keep their head on straight. I'm looking at you, Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons, mainly. You go back and forth with both teams, both New York teams, and you wonder where these teams are going to be in the second half. We don't know. But what we do know is the Knicks finally have an elite point guard on their team in Jalen Brunson, and the Nets finally are getting something from a player that they thought they were going to get nothing from this year in Ben Simmons. So it's something to be happy about. Santa Claus gave us a nice Christmas gift this year for the New York Knicks and the Brooklyn Nets. And that is a winning mentality. So thank you to Santa Claus. When we come back, we'll get into some NHL conversation as the Rangers and Islanders duel it out on Thursday night. And where do both teams go as the second half of the season is right around the corner? When we come back, we will get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas to you, to you, to you, 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 you. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the website of the Worldwide Sports Radio Network by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, our live and profiled shows all over the country. They are live, guys. And all you have to do is go to our website. If you want to listen to the replays, go on the top of the page. Apple Podcasts is right up there waiting for you. You can hear all the replays if you missed the ones you never had a chance to listen to. So, they're up there. Great shows. Our show, The Sports Loudmouths, great, great content with great guests. Wednesdays and Thursdays, 7 p.m. Wednesdays, 9 p.m. Thursdays. And we have jet shows, Buffalo Bills shows, and betting shows. If you like to be entertained and you like sports and you like comedy, you have to listen to the network. Ah, oh, man. Thursday night, 
couldn't have gone worse for me as a Jet fan and an Islander fan. The Islanders really cannot put the puck in the net. They can't. I don't know what's going on with this team. And I know Lou thought he'd had enough firepower to wait until the trade deadline. And he's been known to make moves at the trade deadline, which made him GM the year twice, two times out of the five years he's been here with the Islanders. I just don't know what he was thinking going into this season where he was going to find the offense. Zach Parisi is an old man. If Zach Parisi was in his mid-20s, and obviously the Islanders got him in his mid-20s, you're talking about an offensive player that could put 35 goals in, give you about 50 assists. He was a great player. As a 37-year-old guy, he's washed up. He doesn't have the speed he had. He doesn't have the ability he had when he played for the Devils and even his first couple of years with Minnesota. And Brock Nelson had a great season last year. And he's a good center. He really is. I would say he's amongst the league's top 15. He really is. He's a good center. Is he a winning center? Is he a consistent center? That's the problem. Anders Lee, he's just a big grunt that stands in front of the net and tips the puck. And yeah, he's basically what Kreider was at the beginning yeah, of his he's, career. Yeah, that's what he is. He, yeah. And he doesn't have the speed that Kreider has. He's right. slow. And after that knee surgery, he's even slower. They have a star in Barcel, but he doesn't put the puck in the net because he has nobody that can help him when it comes down to it. He has to be the facilitator, not the closer. This game on Thursday, they needed this game. Now, I know it's still early, and the Rangers are only, what, five points ahead of them? It's not a big deal. There's a lot of hockey left. But this is what happened to the Islanders last year. They fell too far, and then they couldn't catch up. And this year, it's so close. The race is so contested. I don't know where this team is going to go at the trade deadline. They're an older team, so they're going to have a lot to be able to facilitate when it comes to coaching, too. Because a lot of times, skaters that are fast could create on their own. And the Islanders really don't have a lot of those types of skaters. Barzal, obviously, is brilliant with it. But a lot of the veteran guys they have... Brock Nelson's kind of a traditional center. Andersley, like you were saying, is a bigger body that's more based on his size than his speed and will score those tougher goals. Josh Bailey was fast when he was younger, not the same way anymore. Same thing, kind of thing with Beauvillier, too. And the Rangers, they really kind of exposed that, too. They essentially let him come in on a slower pace. And when they did score, they scored in front of the net a lot of the time. But the Rangers definitely showed that they were the faster team, both on offense and the defense with the Islanders having some of the injuries that they had. And right what's now. going on with Sorokin? This has to be figured out. And this has a lot to do with coaching. You have an elite goalie on your team. He's an elite goaltender. Why is he giving up so many bad goals? His numbers would show you he's still elite, but he is 10 and 11 as a starting goalie in the league. Even Shosturkin, who doesn't have the numbers he had last year, no. he's like 16 and 4. You're telling me that you can't win with Sorokin is in net? That's a problem. And that might not be Sorokin. That might be the team in front of him. Yeah, it might be the defense having some injuries too. And Yeah, and that could uh, be. Yeah. And, and that's not an excuse. This is supposed to be one of the better defensive teams, and they're not. They're not playing like that. Both Igor Shosturkin and Ilya Sorokin right now have both goals against average of 2.44 at mm -hmm. the moment, which are, is tied for fourth in the NHL among qualified goalies. Unfortunately, number three is Georgiev on Colorado, 2.39, having a great year over there. Which I expected, by you the did, way. You did. I know the Beav was attacking him. He stinks, he stinks. Georgiev, if it came down to it, I'm sure he'd take him back from Halak. I'll tell you that. Or oh, for Halak. Yeah. Well, it's a joke from Rangers fans. We just took Halak so the Islanders wouldn't have him or any other team wouldn't have him to play 
play against the Rangers and destroy the Rangers like he always does. But even so, both of those goalies, 2.44 goals against average. Sorokin's save percentage, 924. Shesterkin, 916. So you're seeing the difference where Sorokin has had to do a lot more because the Islanders can't possess the puck because they can't skate and they can't hold the puck very well. Barry Trotz's coaching system has always been, when he was there, they didn't possess the puck a lot there either. And it looked like for a while that Lane Lambert was going to change that. And then all of a sudden, teams started to figure it out more. Same kind of thing I said with the Giants when they had that offensive rut. Once teams took out Saquon early, they never recovered. Same kind of thing with the Islanders so far. The Islanders have struggled in the beginning of games getting off to fast starts, too. They've been good late in games. Like If they have to come back down two goals, they've actually been pretty good this year. When it comes to starting fast, if they get out of hand quickly, it's like almost out of hand automatically. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. The further they fall from this division, the harder it is to try to catch up. And the Rangers, the Carolina Hurricanes are starting to play. The Devils are still playing decent hockey. And Pittsburgh's picking up. And Washington's starting to win. It's starting to get you worried that they're going to fall behind again. It's going to be harder and harder and harder to chase in the second half of the season. So I hope it doesn't turn out to be this way, but I have a bad bad feeling yeah, about it. Especially if the Rangers and the Hurricanes start keep picking it up. I think the Rangers will get into a skid again. I don't like their defense. That defense is not selling to me that they're an elite defense. So I think eventually it's going to catch up to them and they'll fall. They'll dip again. But are they going to dip enough for the Islanders to catch everybody in front of them? So Yeah, their even strength defense has actually been good. It's more their power play, their penalty kill that's really hurt them right now. The Penguins had two power play goals against them and Toronto had one as well when they played last week. So the Rangers really had it going on the road, especially on the road on the penalty kill, but not no. the same. Shesterkin at least is starting to pick it up a little bit more where he was in the beginning of the season. Everyone expected natural They're still regression. winning. Just think yeah. about it this way. They're still winning. They have the same practical numbers. Sorokin might be a little bit better. Sorokin's like 10 and 11, and Shesterkin's like 16. 17 and 5. 17 and 5. How do you not win in front of your goaltender that's putting up the numbers that he has? How are you not winning in front of him? The Rangers, they've had their defensive issues at certain times. Most of it had to do, I think, with the veterans in the beginning of the season. Now they've started to pick it up a little more, and the young players have been the best part of that defense, and that's a good sign. Offensively, still a little top-heavy for my liking, but the kids are playing a little better, which is good to see. Merry Christmas to the Ranger fans. And finally, the Rangers are actually playing better in the third period, something we could not say. Happy Hanukkah to the Islander fans. I'm just kidding. All the Islander fans are Jewish? No, well, (laughs) maybe. Happy whatever, but it's not happy right now for the Islander fans. And for the Ranger fans, in their last nine games, I I think they're like 7-2. and and 7-2, yep. It's crazy how it flip-flopped from what the Islanders were doing in the first 15 games and now what the Rangers have done in the last 10 or 11 games. It's completely different. Yeah, they had that bad collapse against the Devils, then got hot since then, and Mm -hmm. then just recently lost to Pittsburgh. (laughs) There you go. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Kerenstein! Here on the Weekend Crunch. Happy holiday, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy holiday. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas and a happy holiday to us. 103.9 and the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only. On 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app. All you have to do is go to the website, www.worldwidesportsradio.com. It is a beautiful website. It's fan-friendly. You can check out all our shows throughout the week. They're live 
Check us out on our social medias. Check out our Buffalo Bills show. Listen to our Jets show. Listen to our show, The Sports Loudmouths, every single Wednesdays and Thursdays. Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. But we have a great show. It's funny, great content, great guests. We are what you want to hear when it comes to sports media. I hope everybody is listening to it as we thank you throughout this year, tuning in to us every single Saturday on 103.9. Thank you to all the guys from 103.9. Thank you to everybody that's been supporting everything we've done here on 103.9. And we plan to continue it in the new year. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Speedy. It is time for K-Wrench Time. It's time for Crunch Time. Gotta see the pitch. I guess you can call it Crunchmas as well, as it is Christmas Eve. Crunchmas. And we will start in the NFL. Buy or sell. Christian Watson will have more receiving yards than one of either Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle. I am going to buy it. I don't know for both of them. Tyree Kill could have a big game, but I have a feeling it's not going to be him. I think it's going to be Waddle because Alexander will be shutting down that ass. I really believe Watson's going to have a big game. He is a breakout guy. Miami's had problems in the open field stopping top-end receivers, so I believe Christian Watson will outdo one of those guys. So I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. And I agree with you. I think it'll be Tyreek Hill. I think Jair Alexander has that body type, the speed that is perfect to be able to contain him. You saw Buffalo be able to limit him to short catches a little more. I think you'll see Green Bay try to do the same thing to have any shot in this game. So I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. We know Steve Cohen loves to spend money. Buy or sell. He will have the Mets payroll and combined salary over $100 million above the next team. It's right now 110 by the end of spring training, too. I'm going to buy it. I think what he has done this offseason has really shown that he has deeper pockets than everybody else in the major leagues, and maybe other teams can compete against him with their deep pockets, but he doesn't care about money. Money grows on trees for Mr. Uncle Stevie, so I absolutely buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. The only big move I could see the Yankees who are right now second making is the Brian Reynolds. They don't have to pay him. They don't have to pay him this year because he's on the arbitration contract right now, so I don't think that's going to make a massive difference in the immediate payroll, so I'm going to buy it. I think Steve Cohen, that $806 million combined in combined assets will still stay for this year. All right, buy or sell. The Eagles will still have the leading individual wide receiver in the Philly... Dallas game despite no Jalen Hurts. I buy it. A.J. Brown has been fantastic, and I like Garden Minshew. I think he's going to be able to make the throws. He's not Jalen Hurts, but he'll make enough throws and he'll make enough plays that A.J. Brown will get his takes, or Smith will get his takes. So I buy it. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to go a different direction. I'm going to go Devontae Smith. The Cowboys' second corner spot has really been the thing that's been cooked a lot recently on this bad defensive stretch that they've had. And I think Diggs and Brown will have their matchup, but I think Smith in the slot or on the outside is the second guy who's gotten some big deeper catches lately. I think he'll be able to do it. So I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. The Nets' winning streak, which is right now seven, will extend to ten games. I'm going to sell that. I don't think ten games. I could see eight or nine. I think he'll fall short. I think one of these teams are going to figure them out. The Nets are playing good basketball right now. They're getting a lot out of Ben Simmons, and that's very, very important because defensively, that's what they brought him in for, and he is doing what they need him to do. So I am going to sell that. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think they could beat Milwaukee, but Cleveland on the road is going to be hard today after Christmas. They've been playing very well as a home team this year. And then even Atlanta too. Atlanta at home in Atlanta too, I think could be a tough matchup too. They're trying to find themselves, so I'm going to sell that as well. All right, buy or sell. Both Saquon and Dalvin Cook will both have 125 scrimmage yards. I'm going to buy it. I think Dalvin Cook is waiting for that breakout game. He hasn't really had a lot of those this year, but he's played well. He just hasn't been elite. 
So I think this game, he will. And yes, absolutely, Saquon Barkley. He's the offense. He's everything to the Giants. So I buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think Saquon will get the receiving yards. I think rushing yards, he'll get more big plays more than anything else. I don't think he'll be a consistent runner, but I do think he'll get enough for that. And Dalvin Cook definitely will. I can see him getting over 150 in this game. It's a really tough matchup for the Giants, especially with the outside. So I'm going to buy it. All right, one hockey one. Alex Ovechkin will break Gordy Howe's record before the end of the calendar year. Three more games left to do it. He's still stuck at that 800. He needs two more. Oh, I buy it. I think he's going to do it. I really do. Three games. I think he scores one in the next game. And then I think before the new year is here, he will break it. I do. I believe he breaks it before the new year. Yep. I'm going to buy it, too. I think three games is definitely manageable. Two West Coast games, so it might be a tough trip. But I still think Alex Ovechkin as an individual with a power play will be able to do it. I will definitely buy it. It'll be a nice New Year's Eve scoring title. All right, the last one. The Yankees will trade for Brian Reynolds. I buy it. I don't think it's a secret that the Yankees are the team in it to win it. And they have a chance to really win it this year. They bring in Brian Reynolds. The weakness right now is left field. They can get their future left fielder, and they'll probably re-sign him in the offseason. And then they can decide what they're doing at third base uh, moving forward now that Anthony Rizzo will be there at least another year. So I am going to absolutely buy it. That one I will disagree with, and I'm going to sell that one. I think you're right. The Pirates' asking price initially is going to be very hard for the Yankees to have to trade Volpe or Dominguez or somebody like that. Maybe Peraz is a little more reasonable. Will they come down to it? I don't know. I think it's a little early at this point, and I think somebody else is going to swoop in amidst all the Yankees' rumors and try to use that as leverage to try to either overpay, like you kind of saw Seattle do with Remember Luis I said that. The Yankees are going to get him. Kind of like the Luis Castillo thing. I think they're going to just use it as leverage, and somebody else is going to spend a lot for a guy that's a 27-year-old controllable center fielder. So I am going to sell that one. Remember I said that? They're not going to lose this one. I believe they need this. I believe they will get it. Hal has said it. He said they're not done, and I believe in Hal. I think they're going to find a way to make this move one way or another where it makes sense for both teams. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is crunch time. Merry Christmas. I really want to wish you guys, everybody, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, uh, happy Kwanzaa. It's been a crazy year for me, family-wise. Oh, yeah. Same for you, Speedy. I want to thank everybody that supported and has supported this show on 103.9. We will be back next week, so we will finish the year calendar for one more show, and we're looking forward to the new year and a lot of good things going on for me and Speedy, and there's a lot of opportunities that could come in the new year, and a lot of the reasons why it's coming is for all the fans, and, and if people haven't heard this show take the time and listen to the show it is a great sports show i'm not saying this because i'm doing this show and i'm the host of the show i'm saying it because i believe that if you want to laugh and you like sports and you like banter this is the show for everybody that's tuned in and checked us out and listened to us and checked out our radio network on the worldwide sports radio network and just supported everything we've done i'd like to thank everybody i really do and i wish everybody a merry merry christmas yeah absolutely merry christmas all the listeners out there all the families out there listening to this show thank you for all your support this year all the fans that have listened to us all over the world too not just even in new york absolutely that have listened to this show we put a lot of hard work and effort absolutely into this show and definitely loving giving you all this great entertainment great content mm-hmm. we have a great variety of stuff thank you to Moneyline Mania all the mm-hmm. different contributors we've had come on over this, the start of all this the year guests. Too. Yeah, all, all the guests all the guests all the great guests 
we've had on this show. And I'm talking some of the best guests you could possibly get. And if you guys haven't tuned in, well, you've missed a lot of great guests. Ex-NFL players, ex-baseball players, ex-basketball players, writers. And I would like to thank all our guests. We really appreciate all of you guys, too, because without you, this wouldn't be a show. We'll be back next week for our final show of the year going into the new calendar year in January. We're excited about that, too. Moving forward, this will be our third year, right? Yep. It started in July 2020, and now we're entering 2023. It's crazy. Three years on 103.9. It is crazy. Well, we'll see you next week. Good night.